From Gimlet, I'm Alex Bloomberg, and this is Without Fail, the show where I talk with artists, athletes, entrepreneurs, visionaries of all kinds about their successes and their failures and what they've learned from both. I'm going to start the episode today this way. I'm going to describe a company to you, and I want to see if you can guess what that company makes. Okay, this company, it has multiple lines of business from retail and online sales to multimedia publishing. It has a brand new downtown campus that's often compared to Disneyland. Hundreds of employees, tens of millions in annual revenue. Now it is a worldwide franchise that has totally transformed one local town. Quilt Town USA. Take a look. That's right. The company I'm talking about, it makes quilts. It's called the Missouri Star Quilt Company. And if that answer surprises you, it's co-founder will surprise you even more. My name is Jenny Doan, and I am the face of the Missouri Star Quilt Company. What, is, that, is that your official title? Is that what it says on your business card? <laughs> no, it says Quilt Diva. <laughs> <laughs> of all the long-shot founding stories I've heard, Jenny Doan's path to Quilt Diva stands out as one of the least likely. Her story begins years ago, when she was a stay-at-home mom raising seven children. This is the mid-90s, and Jenny and her husband had recently moved their entire family, her and her husband and all their seven kids, from California to a small town in rural Missouri, a town called Hamilton. We came in 95, and uh, we used to have festivals, and the carnival would come, and all these kinds of things, but all that stopped. And our whole downtown is like uh, two or three blocks, but most of the shops were boarded up. There were two grocery stores, and there was a stationery store, and there was a pharmacy store. And within a very short time, those businesses just closed up. They just couldn't make it. You launched the company in 2008, right? Yes, we did. I wanted you to go like the year prior. What was your life back, let's say, in 2007? Like, what was your day-to-day life? What were you doing? So, uh, paint, paint me a picture. I have always been a stay-at-home mom. We have seven children, and uh, you can't afford daycare, you know, when you have seven children, so you just got to stay at home with them. <laughs> so, I was a stay-at-home mom, and my husband is a machinist, and he's always worked uh, in a factory. And so, when 2008 hit, the big market crash came, and our retirement was all set up in a 401k. We lost most of it when the market crashed. Oh. And that was our retirement. You know, that was the only thing we had in place for retirement was that was what was in that 401k. How much how much was in there? I think it was down like in the below 20,000. It was so little. 90% of it was gone. That's a lot to lose over it's a, a lot, lifetime yeah. of work. Yeah. My husband was just sick. And and how are you feeling? I'm just trying to cheer everybody up. Keep everybody Cheerful, you know. <laughs> You're not even permitting your own feelings. <laughs> You're just trying to like. Now that, now that is true right there. <laughs> I'm not even allowing myself to be sad. You know, I can remember being shocked. I can remember being, um, wow, that's pretty tough, you know. Uh, but I just thought, well, I'll just get a job and we can make enough to eat and enough to live and keep the lights on and we're good to go. The rest of her family, though, they didn't share her optimism. Jobs were hard to come by in Hamilton, especially for someone like Jenny, who was in her 50s with very little workplace experience. Jenny's kids were grown at this point, and two of them decided to convene for a family summit. Jenny's son, Alan, who had moved to California for a software job, he flew in to be there. And Jenny's daughter, Sarah, who lived nearby with her family, she joined as well. So we're at the house, and Mm -hmm. um, Alan and Sarah started talking about what they could do to help Ron and I so that we could have some sort of... um, 
future, you know, where we didn't have to work all the rest of our lives. Your husband, Ron, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I think part of their concern is, you know, what can we do to make m- mom and dad more solvent so they don't have to live in our basement? <laughs> and uh, they were over talking and they're like, Mom, we just feel like we've got to find something for you to do that has some longevity. And I said, all right, well, you guys talk about that. I'm going to go pick up a quilt. And they said, well, what quilt is it? And I said, I don't remember. It's been at the Long Armors for like a year. It, it, and it had they, been where for over a year? At the at the Long Armors. So there's these big machines in the quilt world that are called long arm machines. So it's a woman who has a great big quilt machine, and she puts the back on it and the fluff in the middle, and then she stitches pat a stitch pattern all over it, and that's what keeps the quilt together. Got it. Okay. And anybody who quilts, the last step is always like you have to go to the long armor and get it long arm. You quilt it by hand with a needle and thread, which takes forever. Which yeah. takes forever. And I have I've I've done plenty of that. Um, uh-huh. Because there are lots of times I couldn't afford to get my quilt quilted, or I've tied it. But for some reason, this quilt I I wanted to take to the to get it machine quilted. And so, what you're saying is that there was this huge backlog of like getting it machine quilted. Yeah. Okay. And so, like, if you wanted something for Christmas, you almost had to take it a year in advance. Whoa. And so, Alan looks at me and he goes, "Mom, is this a thing? Are all the long armors backed up like this?" And I said, "Well, they are in our area." And he's like wait a minute, could you do this? And I was like, well, I can sew, so I probably could learn it. And he said, what if we bought you a machine? Could you, do you think you could do it? And I said, sure, sure. So he saw this as a viable opportunity for me uh, to make some money. So Al kicked in some money. Sarah took a second mortgage on her home. And together, they bought their mom a brand new, state-of-the-art, $36,000 long-arm machine, the Gamel Statler Stitcher. And they bought one of those boarded-up buildings downtown to put it in. Real estate was so cheap in Hamilton at the time that the building cost less than the machine. So the little building that we bought used to be uh, an old car garage that was built in the 1800s, and it was called Hawk's Car Garage. So um, we had the whole middle part of it, like, was a place where you'd drive in your car to get it fixed. And so we built a room on the front— and we had uh, we had a giant easel where we had a quilt sitting. We had our quilting machine, the big long arm machine, over against the other wall. We had a little counter that we'd set up um, that uh, where you could pay when your quilt was finished and you came in to pick it up, and mm-hmm. an area where you could drop them off. And um, I practiced and practiced and practiced, and then I felt comfortable taking quilts, and we started advertising and taking quilts for me to quilt. Do you remember your first order? Yes, it was terrifying because I was so afraid that I was going to make a mistake or ruin something because these are people's heirlooms. These are their precious things that they've taken time on. They're generally for somebody, you know, Uh and um, your machine could put a hole in it. You could stitch the wrong pattern. But, uh, you know, I had practiced a lot so that I felt confident that I could do it. But still, you put that first one on and you just kind of take a deep breath and you're like, all right, let's give it a try. And if I were to visit you at like a day at this point, what would I walk in and see? You're you're working the, the, the long arm machine? Yep, I'm at the quilt machine and I am working that quilt machine all day long. And uh-huh. um, my daughter, Sarah, and um, my daughter, Natalie, came in and worked with me, but I mostly did the quilting. And Sarah was always in on the computer, answering emails and things like that. 
We actually even put up a little piece of plywood because Sarah had a baby and we didn't want him to crawl out where we were. So we had like a plywood uh, board across the door so that he could stand up and see us, but he couldn't actually get out there, you know. I mean, it was a... (laughs) It was really a little family business we had going. And so we had some regular customers and um, uh, we tried mm-hmm. always for a two to three week turnaround because we felt like one of the drawbacks to quilting was that um, it just took too long to get your quilt back. So we were we were the people you'd come to if you wanted it faster. But I can remember, ma'am, there were late nights and things like that because we wanted to keep this two week turnaround. Oh, so you would just like sort of like keep running the machine all night long. Oh, gosh, yeah. Get- Really? We'd do shifts, we'd whatever whatever it took, you know, to to get people back their quilts. Thing was, for every week where demand was so strong that they had to work all night, there were other weeks, Jenny says, where they'd be lucky to make just ten bucks. And whatever money they did make, it wasn't going to Jenny and her kids. You know, the money went back in to pay for the machine, to pay for the building, uh, you know, to pay for any materials that we used, but I didn't actually get paid. How were you how were you surviving without getting paid? It was just on Ron's salary? Yeah, just on his salary, yeah. Got it. And uh I mean I always remember the um the UPS man would come and he would bring us some supplies or something like that and he said later he said to us, "I just felt so sorry for your family because I just knew you were going to fail because businesses just don't make it in Hamilton." What do you do when even the postman is betting against you? After the break, Jenny and her family get creative. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Hear that? It's the sound of someone whacking the ground with a rake. Specifically, they're beating around the bush, which we've done enough of in this ad, too, so let's get right to it. The new Moneymaker scratch-off from the Ohio Lottery doesn't beat around the bush. Money Maker. Play the game and you could win money, up to $2 million. With more than $88 million in prizes, ranging from $50 to $500, Moneymaker cuts right to the cash. Lottery players are subject to Ohio laws and commission regulations. Play responsibly. Welcome back to Without Fail and my conversation with Jenny Doan, co-founder and star quilter of the Missouri Star Quilt Company. When we left off, Jenny's shop was struggling. The Doans were staying up all night long to finish quilts for their few customers, but things were not looking good for the Doan Family Retirement Fund. And then, Jenny's tech-savvy son, Alan, had an idea. His arena is the computer. And to be honest, I spent his whole childhood saying to him, Alan, get off that computer and go do something, you know, because Uh I didn't see the value in the computer. I didn't know that, I don't know, a few years later, we'd all be carrying a computer in our pockets, you know. I just couldn't see uh, uh, the value of that. And... um, and so he he went right online to look and see what was happening with quilting. Well, in 2008, quilting hadn't made the yeah. jump. And so he he said to me, Mom, do you want to do tutorials? And I said, sure, honey, what's a tutorial? And he said, I want you to teach people how to quilt online. And I said, well, how are people going to find these videos? And he said, well, I'm going to put them on YouTube. And I was like, whoa, whoa, isn't that where all the crazy teenagers have their videos? I'm pretty sure you don't want your mom on YouTube. And he's like, mom, just trust me on this. Trust me on this. This is going to be our center for learning. 
And I was just, I would just looked and I was like, whatever, Al, I just don't see it, you know? Nobody uh-huh. my age is going to go to the computer to learn how to do this. We're going to take a class from a quilt shop. And uh, he just said, you just got to trust me on this. Had, had you ever watched YouTube? Anything on YouTube? No, <laughs> never. <laughs> so he was like, you may not see your name in lights, but I do. Yeah. Alan's idea was that if they could post these quilting tutorials on YouTube, they could maybe raise awareness about their company and possibly drive some traffic to the shop. And then maybe they could even make some extra cash from YouTube ads. And so he came with a little camera uh, to film me, and we would put a little sign on the door that says, you know, um, we're filming a video, uh, you know, don't knock on the door. You know, we. it was just like this little fledgling, you know, video thing. And he started taping me and I was, you know, I'm goofy. So I, I'm uh, kicking my leg up and, you know, showing different things. And I got my leg caught in the cord of the quilt machine and I fell over and he's like, are you okay? And I said, no, I really hurt myself. And uh, so they got me to the doctor and it turns out I broke my leg. Oh my gosh. Um, and, uh, you know, they get me all, they get me all propped up in bed and I'm fine. And he comes back and he's like, mom, I'm really sorry that you hurt yourself, but um, I'm only here two more days and we really need to film some things. You know? And I'm just like, are you kidding me? So, you know, uh, I mean, I crawl back down the hallway, down the stairs, out to the car. We're in a wheelchair. There are crutches behind me, you know. And uh, we filmed a few tutorials. Hi, I'm Jenny from Missouri Star Quilt Company. Welcome to our beginner block series. Today, we're going to learn how to make a four patch. This is an easy and versatile block that and you'll really enjoy it because it's you feel success right away. So we're gonna we're gonna use. So in this, cover. you're sitting behind a uh, you're sitting behind a desk. Is that a is that a uh, you're sitting in a wheelchair? I'm sitting in a wheelchair. So that was the first video you ever did, and you're in a wheelchair from an onset related accident. Yep. For those of you who are beginning, uh, you may want to stick a pin right in between the seam right here to hold it down. I've been doing this for a very long time, so I can see that these match up correctly. And I will set it up under here, again, using a quarter of an inch. And away we go. Wow. What, what was going through your head as you were doing this video? What was going through my head was that I wanted to please Alan. When I said, um, today we're going to make a four patch, he was like, whoa, whoa, mom, I don't even know what that is. And so that caused me to change the way I taught because I, I realized that there were people who wouldn't understand if I didn't explain from the beginning. And so uh, I had to rewind and I went, oh, we have our own language in this industry. So it's like, okay, today we're going to make a four patch and it's going to consist of four squares that are the same size. Two are going to be light, two are going to be dark. We're going to sew a light to a dark and a dark to a light, you know. And while you were filming these early early videos, before they went up, but while you were sort of filming them, what was your expectation of, about what would happen? So I actually had no expectation uh, because I didn't see it going anywhere. I didn't think anybody would really watch them. How would they know to go there? How would, you know, how would my demographic uh, find this? But people did find the video. Jenny didn't pay attention to the computer stuff. But Al, he was watching that view count tick up. First in the tens, then the hundreds, then the thousands. The audience wasn't big enough to make any real money from YouTube yet, but the growth was definitely encouraging. Encouraging enough to keep making more videos. In the beginning, I just was showing people how to do things. And then 
um, you know, people would say, hey, that fabric you used? And I'd say, yeah. And they'd say, I'd like to buy some of that. And I'd say, well, it's my fabric. You know, it's not really for sale. And so um, we, we thought, well, we should sell some fabric. And the kids, they were pretty excited about what was happening, enough so that they decided they were going to put up a website. And, um, you know, you think when you launch a website, everybody's going to going to flock to it and nobody knows it's there, you know? Yeah. And so um, I think it was a couple of weeks and my niece went on and bought something and they were super excited. And then um, I think it wasn't too much longer and we had eight sales one day and they were so excited doing the happy dance. They had made eight (laughs) sales, you know, when we got those first sales, we would wrap them like presents because we were so thrilled, you know, that we'd write them a note and thank them. And and then we started watching, um, you know, numbers and things like that. And I can remember when, you know, a video had a thousand and then how shocked we were when it had 10,000, you know, and, and, uh, and, you know, I mean, it just, it just started growing. And I think once you get to a certain place it, you know, the, the rollover is huge, you know, because if, if, uh, you know, if 300,000 people see that and tell their friends, then the next video, you even have more, you know. Right. So, it, so you were getting from ten from a couple thousand to 10,000 to like hundreds of thousands? It started getting big, yeah. And, you know, because of the videos, more people were watching. They wanted to buy more stuff. We could sell more stuff. We realized that if, 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 I, if I did a tutorial and used a certain fabric, we would sell all of that. And so we started buying bigger quantities and selling more, um, and it was all tutorial-based. And, and what was that? I don't know. What, what was that like for you? Oh, my gosh. It was awesome. It was amazing. I was, like, surprised and really pleased, you know, just like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe this is happening to us, you know? And I remember about that time was when Alan said he was going to hire somebody to clean, and uh, I said, no, Alan, don't do that, honey. Don't. Then we have to work really hard to make sure this person gets paid. I'll come in earlier. I'll stay later. And he said something to me that changed my life. And he looked at me and he said, Mom, you are worth more creating than you are cleaning the bathroom. I want you to create. And I'm going to let somebody else do this part. And I was just, you know, before it, my, my brain set had always been, I could just work harder. I'll just work longer. I'll just do more. Because I just felt like, you know, we didn't need to spend that extra money. You know, I'm so frugal. I've lived my whole life on a mechanic's salary with seven children. And I think the fact that he valued what I was doing in a way that I didn't was, um, was, was it just made me look at it completely differently. Did you start to see the value in it too? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And if Jenny needed any more convincing that what she was doing had value, she was about to get it in a very big way. Because at some point in those first couple of years, Letters started to arrive at the shop in Hamilton. Lots of letters. I remember I got a letter from a woman in um, Iran about how much she loved what I she was learning and she was loved the videos and doing all these different things, you know. And um, I got a letter from a woman in Norway who told me she was like the last watchwoman in Norway. A Norwegian watchwoman. What what does a watchwoman do? She stands. So it's part when the when the king comes. It's part of the procession that somebody stands and holds a lantern um, and watches for the boat to come. And she said, it's always gone father to son, father to son. And she, her father didn't have a son, so she was the last the last one in that line to carry on that tradition. 
Wow. Interesting, yeah? I mean, yeah. Who, who would think? And honestly, I still don't get how we can call Hawaii without a wire. And so the fact that the internet, that YouTube is everywhere, was so far beyond anything I could grasp. You know, it's like other countries are watching me. And my understanding is that around this time, fans started showing up at the store as well. Do, do you remember your first visitor? I remember uh, we had a call from a woman in Brazil, and she wanted to come and visit our shop. And we're like, whoa, whoa, wait, wait. You're where? You know, I mean, we just... And so she came and we put her quilt on together on my machine and I showed her how it was done and we quilted her quilt together. It was like the most... I just couldn't believe it because here she was from another country. What What did you guys talk about when she got there? Oh, I can talk to anybody. So we got probably, <laughs> you know, the country, our families, quilting, how, you know, how uh -huh. she started, what she loved about it, what I loved about uh -huh. it. We became That's very amazing. fast friends. But it, the fact that all of a sudden I was famous for sewing, that was really weird. You know, that was not <laughs> that was not my wheelhouse. I wasn't thinking that at all. You're a celebrity. <laughs> I'm a so-lebrity. S-E-W. So-lebrity. <laughs> Coming up in just a stitch, more visitors go the extra yard to visit Jenny. And a surprising change happens in Hamilton that affects the entire fabric of the town. That's coming up. Welcome back to Without Fail and my conversation with Jenny Doan. When we left off, Jenny's YouTube videos had gone viral. And thanks to her and her family's new tutorial-based business plan, the Missouri Star Quilt Company was doing better than ever. She and the rest of her family were finally taking a paycheck, albeit for minimum wage. And soon, they bought up another old storefront and turned it into a fabric store. And then they bought another one after that, and so on. They were hiring lots of people. And all the while, more and more people were making pilgrimages to Hamilton to see Jenny in person. Now, our little town has one little main street, and we were one block from it. And people start coming, and they say, um, well, where can we eat? And we say, well, we have Subway and the gas station, <laughs> you know. So then we have to come up with places for them to eat because we want them to enjoy their experience here, you know, and, and we never wanted to be in the restaurant business, but it's right. like, we've got to provide something for the, everybody to eat who's coming here. And, uh, and so we, we go find the people in town who've always wanted to have a restaurant and we say, we'll make the building if you guys run the restaurant. And, and then when you make a, um, a profit, some of that will pay us back so that you can have your own business. And we have a hamburger place and we have a little bakery and we have a little, um, you know, a, a nicer restaurant. And, you know, so now we have places for people to eat. And then all of a sudden they want to stay there. You know, they've driven all this way. They want to stay. And so we have to have, we open a retreat center where women can sleep upstairs and sew downstairs. And, you know, uh, it's just snowballing now. And we're not planning anymore. We're problem solving. You know, everything, everything is like, okay, now we need this. Okay, now we need this. You're like literally building a town around quilting. We are. We are building a town around quilting. We actually had to put in our own sidewalks. <laughs> we put in a couple of streets. <laughs> how many people? How many people now are coming to 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 visit you? Oh, I would say we get between a couple of hundred and a thousand a day. Oh my god! I didn't know it was that many. Wow! And we get a lot of buses. You know, we're we're definitely a destination. We're not you we're not your local shop, but we're definitely a destination. And um, how many employees are you are you t today? We now have about four hundred and fifty. Four hundred and fifty employees. Yep. 
Um, and how many people uh, live in Hamilton? There's 1,800. So that's a fourth of the town is now working for you. Yep. How's that feel? I'm proud of the fact that we can provide a living for 450 families. That's huge for me. I've had mothers stop me at the dollar store and say, thank you so much for giving my son a job. Uh-huh. You know, I'm so proud of that when that happens. And, you know, um, our county is one of the poorest in Missouri. And, you know, we had families that have been on uh, welfare for generations and now they can have a job. You know, it's like, who ever thought I would get to do such a thing? Not me. Do you have a street named after you yet? No. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the next move. I think when you employ a quarter of the town and you're well, turning, like, you can get a street, right? There, uh, Our town is the home of J.C. Penney. It was where J.C. Penney was born. Oh, and wow. uh, I told Al, I said, I think I need a billboard that says Penny and Jenny. <laughs> He's <laughs> like, yeah, whatever, Mom, you know. <laughs> Jenny Doan continues to film tutorials each week, now in her upgraded studio. At the time of this taping, she had made a total of 729 videos with about 168 million views. The Missouri Star Quilt Company is still expanding in Hamilton, but if you can't make it there yourself, you can catch Jenny at her traveling trunk show, Jenny on the Road. And if you see her there, you have to make sure to say hi. If I go out, like, you know, if I get on an airplane, you know, there'll be two or three people that'll be like, oh, it's Jenny, you know, and um, and, and I just love that. And so uh, I kind of eat that up. And uh, so if I'm someplace and I'm like, nobody recognizes me, I'm like, can't believe nobody knew me here. You know, I'm just like, oh, I'm kind of surprised nobody knew who I was. <laughs> Wait, there are no quilters in this land? <laughs> Without Fail is hosted by me and produced by Molly Messick, Rob Zipko, and Hiba Elarbani. It is edited by me and Devin Taylor, music and mixing by Bobby Lord. If you like Without Fail, follow us. You can get every episode for free through Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.